Hi everyone, it's Ian here, Hampshire Fans Podcast, and we're here to talk about the championship for 2022 Hampshire's campaign, how it ended, the highlights, the lowlights. I'm in with me. I've got George. Hello. Good, good evening. I hope you're well. And Amanda as well. Good evening. Hi. Hi. Good to speak to you. So we're, we've left it, what, about three to four weeks since the end of the season. Unfortunately, as you all know by now, um, we ended up third place, more than respectable third place, but ultimately one of disappointment considering that uh, earlier episodes, earlier Twitter spaces, I really, really fancied that we would win the ultimate prize. We also unfortunately missed out on second place, which at the time I was not too disappointed, or I think I was trying to put a brave face. But since finding out that it cost us £145,000, I've got a bit of a slightly different view than the one I had at the end of the season. Who wants to go first with how they felt with the, the end of the season? Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> I'm glad we didn't record this a couple of weeks ago because I was still feeling a bit raw. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the last... I actually went to uh, Edgbaston for the uh, day two of that final match. Uh, so we're on off for rain. Knew we couldn't win it, but really disappointed with the final day but actually it was kind of almost like a carbon copy of last year the final day of the of our match was really exciting and was an amazing finish to the season for everybody and I think they had like ridiculous amounts of um online viewers on the YouTube stream and and it was really really exciting because obviously there was a lot riding on it for Warwickshire really disappointed that we collapsed like that on the final day in the final innings and but I think we'll probably talk about it it wasn't we didn't lose the championship in that final day or even the Kent match it was yeah it'd all gone a bit wrong before then much earlier in terms of our batting but yeah I'm really disappointed um I really thought we could do it and I I was kind of like well if we can't win it I don't really care where we come (laughs) But yeah, a lot have changed my view about that as well. I wish. Yeah, we I, I felt the same, but um, unfortunately, that's a lot of money to be giving up. And um, although the finances are in a bad state, um, it's still, in terms of English cricket, that is a huge amount of money. George, your thoughts? Well, I think I'm going to try my best to keep my role as the sort of painfully optimistic one in our group who always tries to keep smiling. Uh, look, I thought it was another captivating season. That's why we're Hampshire fans. We weren't spoilt for drama right across the formats, right across the season. Um, yeah, I found Edgebaston disappointing. I know Manda was there and I felt for her having to witness that sort of collapse on the, the final day. But, you know, it would be remiss of me to not agree with all of you to say, yeah, our championship was done and dusted from periods long before that. The one thing that did slightly annoy me was that I do think it took the sheen off the analysis that was needed about the Kent game and the talk about how he imploded in the Kent game. It all became about the Warwickshire game. Now, I understand with the money, there was stuff on the line, there were mistakes made for sure, but it was essentially a dead rubber for us. And I think more talk should have been spoken about that penultimate game and other moments of the campaign where we didn't 
either get the rub of the green or we didn't capitalise more importantly. Um, I know we'll probably talk about that more here, but I just think too much precedence was made of that. Although one thing I will say is that Gubbings dismissal on the final day still irks me now and I still get dreams and, well, more nightmares about it. If that's out, I'm sorry, but maybe I should consider Korea as a top-level <laughs> umpire. <laughs> I, mean, I could do with a job, so maybe that's what I should do. But, uh, yeah, and... and <laughs> Look, I'm being really nitpicky here, but then again, I'm amateur fans, of course I'm going to be, but I just thought maybe that set the tone, that dismissal, if Gubbings was there, I don't, I couldn't have seen him getting out and, unless it was a really dodgy decision like that, and would it have happened? But then again, we've all been there through the years, especially when we were fighting in Div 2, just to stay up or in those old Div 1 relegation battles. We know what it's like to turn out on the final day and we probably would have done exactly the same thing. And that's cricket. That's what happens. So, look, I, I also, my last thing is I don't want this talk to shine off the fact that it has been a successful season for us. I know we haven't got that goal that we all dream about, the top prize, but are we getting closer to it than we were, you know, four or five years ago? Absolutely we are. And I don't think the project has ended this season. I think it's just another massive step in the right direction. Are we going to be competitive again for the third year running? You bet your bottom dollar we are. So we just need to remember that and that will give us hope for the winter. But lots to talk about. Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately third is disappointing. And the way the season sort of fizzled out effectively with the way that people's memories work, recency bias is one of those things where people will focus on the batting and things like that. But I was utterly fed up of everybody tweeting me to tell me how bad the batting was. So I said, you know, there's no getting away from it. But unfortunately, that was what cost us in the end. And we'll talk about some different things there. But it was weird because it was like the batting was still the second best batting in the division in terms of yeah. bonus points yeah. scored. Yes, you had to regularly rely on the lower order getting it out of trouble but I don't see well you can't rely on that but I don't think it's a bad thing that you have a lower order that can do that that's that's how I would put it so third was a disappointment I think second would have been a disappointment as well ultimately but I also think that there was different things that we won nine games of championship cricket. That's very, very difficult to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it was one of those where to try to win that 10th, that 11th game, there was perhaps just nothing left. Yeah, I think, Ian, you've talked about that before, about stringing together wins. And it's almost like it's one game too far for us. And when you have a look at the table, it's the losses that could have been draws if there'd have been that bit more resolve in the batting a bit more resilience there in the batting, then actually, you know, we would have had the points from the draws um, and and that would that would have changed things as well. So, yeah, and I hate criticising batters, but then on the other hand, we always moan about the bowlers as well. And that's not fair, is it? Because obviously our bowlers have been absolutely amazing. But yeah, it's just difficult to know what to do about the batting without bringing in somebody new. I think I said actually at the beginning of this season, oh, I'd like us to stick with the people we've got. So yeah, but come on, guys. <laughs> you know, yeah. when your your Red Bull batter of the year um is our new, you know, our newest um batter, Ben Brown, and his what his average was under 40, you kind of think, oh come on, that's why we're not talking about us being championship winners. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it's it's harsh because you want to defend the team because they perform so well. Mm. But they are going. To, I mean, they made difficult decisions last winter. That where they moved on also and they moved on McManus, where they'd stuck with those guys for a lot of years, but they were never going to average what we needed them to mm. do if we were going to win the title. And I think we're in a similar scenario this year where one or two, and I'm not suggesting they should be moved on, but I think they have to rejig the batting order. So again, I hate to criticise individuals, but unfortunately Ian Holland can't open the batting again for us. I'm more than happy for him to play in the side because of his bowling, but he just can't open anymore. It's just putting too much pressure on us, unfortunately. So that's one of the things I'd change. And then, yeah, there's difficult decisions to be made elsewhere. Everyone else is probably in a position where they um, will get more time. But everybody has to step up, if you like, because it's Vince, he was the top run scorer, 800 runs. Yeah. So it's 800 in a 14-game season. Nothing wrong with that. But when you're the class of, of his, we need a 1,000 from him. And then you had your other guys like Organ, Brown, Govins getting 700. We need them to find a way to get to 800 runs and beyond. Yeah, so, definitely. So I don't know if it's a case of we try to find an opener for somewhere, from somewhere else or do we try and find an opener from within? So does it start next season as Organ and Weatherly perhaps or are we seeing who's available and who we can bring in? I think you should definitely be looking around. If you think about players such as Dawson, Barker, Fuller, they were all averaging at least five to 10 more than the likes of Ian Holland, for example. And I think two of them are higher than even Weatherly. So, you know, I'm glad runs are coming. I'm not going to complain where they're coming from if they're coming. But, you know, the reason I think Surrey won the championship was that core batting unit and the level of consistency they showed. And we were lacking in that department. I think we we were able to defend (coughs) players previously by saying sort of seasonal arguments. So I remember last year, we did a real in-depth analysis of Ian Holland, first half of the season versus second half, more specifically post-September and how he would always dovetail off in September and that his stats were awful when you go into the close season. Well, he actually had consistency this year, but it was more of his sort of close season performance for the whole year. So I think now people who've been in that setup, you know, there's still a role for him to play as, a squad member but if you want a championship you've got to go out and you've got to pursue the best I think for us it's a difficult one because I was reading they've been talking about us in the cricketer uh, this September how we are the most consistent side in all formats and that's great that's something I'm absolutely proud of but here's one for you guys do you not think that if we're going to get this elusive championship that we've been wanting for years I mean ever since I've been a Hampshire fan and, and I mean all of us involved we all want this more than anything. Is there a time where we have to almost bypass the success of other tournaments and just completely and solely focus our recruitment strategy on trying to win this championship? Because I think if we do that, we're going to have to drill in and really look at Red Bull specialists, including that top higher order like we would for the Blast and recruit like we would 
for a blast tournament. I'm not saying we do it, but is that something we might have to change if we really, what, really want? I, what is I think we have been doing that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily because, agree. I mean, you know, where they brought in say gubbins or specialised organ into batting at the top of the order. Keith Barker came just to play championship. Kyle Abbott, Kyle Abbott, Mohammed Abbas, they come just to play championships. So we've done, we've been, that's what we've been doing. Mm. Yeah. But the, I mean, the difficulty is you run out of slots, don't you, in your team because mm. and your squad? Because if you're thinking about overseas players, if you're thinking, well, um, Kyle Abbott and Mohammed Abbas, please, you know, get him back again. Um, if you're thinking about them, then that's your two Red Bull overseas, isn't it? what then are you going to do about your opener? Are you going to have another sort of final season of like, right, we're sticking with our existing team or are we going to buy somebody in um, that's not an overseas or, you know, who else is floating about? Um, there's that youngster at uh, North Hants, I think, that's just, is it gay? That's just signed. Yeah, he looked really good. Contract. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's what can you do with the contract situation? Because I think, yeah, gay's been suggested to me be more than happy to see him gum, but he signed a long an extension with North Ants. The couple of people I'd be they should perhaps look along the coast to Sussex. Haynes or Ali Orr would be perhaps some people worthy of a closer look to perhaps make the step up from Division Two. What about Hassan Assad from uh, Leicestershire? Yeah, I I don't think so. Um, okay. I'm not sure that he will be quite good enough for Division 1. But at the same time, I think Leicestershire have made a mistake letting him go. That Leicestershire surely can't be that picky to release one, uh, release him after one bad season. Yeah, out, out of those, I would definitely go for Tom Haynes because I think he's somebody who has been playing regular England Lions tours as well. He's... I think out of that you get you're gonna to have to go for somebody probably who requires a bit of development by coming mm. over to Hampshire. So but he's probably the one who's furthest down that line and, and could slot in as that sort of professional opener. Um and strike while the iron is hot is my advice to Hampshire because I don't think our stock has ever been higher than it is mm. now and our level of attractiveness, which means and we praise the recruitment policy and process for the last two years. Uh, you know, it means that really we built it. Surely they can come, but we just need to identify our targets. So, yeah, I, I certainly think it's possible to have a Tom Haynes at Hampshire. And I wouldn't have said that even a year ago. Mm. So hopefully possibilities will come. Yeah, I think the options are out there. And if they don't do that, I think, yeah, I think Oregon's done enough because also it's like it's one thing looking at what people average. But I also think the other thing that, was highlighted is the amount of hundreds that we scored this season. We scored just eight, whereas Surrey scored 16. Felix Organ scored two of those hundreds opening. So that's why, mm. yes, I want more runs from him, but the fact he can score a couple of hundreds is one reason why I persevere with him. Mm. And I think there's also something about his impact as well as a player. I think that, you know, because he can bowl you some decent deliveries and some overs. And I think, yeah, because when he has scored well as an opener he's actually stuck at it and I've been quite impressed with him he he just yeah his impact I think there's there's more to him than just the runs um 
he, you know, he just looks a good player and I would be disappointed if we got rid or, you know, just demoted him, if you like, to white ball only or whatever. So, um, yeah, I agree. It's just, it's really tough, isn't it? Because it's like when we sort of said goodbye to Tom Walsop at the beginning of this season and Lewis McManus went off on loan and then that was made sort of permanent. It's, I hate losing players that have been around the team for a while and I just I feel really disappointed because I just want them to do well and you know we've got this amazing crop of like homegrown youngsters as well coming through so I just really want them to stick about stick around and step up and actually do well um rather than having to go elsewhere I you know much prefer if it was all about the homegrown talent plus some you know sprinkling of um overseas that you know stick with us and and uh, and hang around for a while as well but so it's going to be interesting to see what the uh the shopping basket is like <laughs> over the winter i mean do you think they'll perhaps try to go weatherly open with organ perhaps because that was who started the season in possession of the opening spot he made 168 in the first game and then sadly after that got injured and then struggled to find his way back in. When he did get back in, unfortunately, he had a run of low scores. Would you keep Organ Weatherly if we're sitting here in April 23? Would that be your opening partnership? And who's our number three? You'd have Gubbins at three, Gubbins, I think. And then Vince. Yeah, I think so. Number four, yeah. I've heard a rumour, though, that they might be about to make pressed a Red Bull regular slot him in, in at free and open okay. with Gubbins what Yeah I've wondered about, about Gubbins opening as well because he did do it in his middle sex days so that seems to be one of those where it's um, yeah Gubbins should perhaps be persuaded or tried there Honestly if we're saying no recruitment happens and the options are on the table that we have now that's what I would do I would give Prest a chance because it's April. It's a long season. I'd give him a chance at free and I would open with Gubbings because Gubbings actually has got real experience as a Div 1 opener, you know, on challenging wickets. So mm. I, I don't see anything wrong with that. And also, he, I like the chalk and cheese element of someone complimenting Organ. Organ really impressed me with his scoring rates mm. this summer um, and his fluency and someone like a more traditional opener in that guise of grinding down the new ball in Gubbings. Oh, nice little chalk and cheese party, different players. We lost you a bit there, George. You turned into a Nick Gubbins, <laughs> sticking it and grinding it out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I basically finished my point when I broke up, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a reasonable shout that if, if the option to bring somebody in that we're not sure or not confident will improve the team, then, yeah, maybe the option has been there all along. And that's perhaps what should be tried. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, like, Govin's had a good season. 700-odd runs is fine, but it's not enough. We need a 1,000 from him. He's capable, I think. We need him to be knocking on the door of a 1,000 runs. Mm. And I'm really excited about Tom Prest coming into the Red Bull team as well. Um you know, really, really good player, really good. So that that would be quite exciting. Uh, but he would have to really crack on and get on with it really quickly. Do you know what I mean? He would he wouldn't oh, yeah. get. I don't think they would be able to persevere after two months of really low scores. I think he would he would have, have to, to really running. That's, that's the problem. The the, the hype, mm. or not the hype, but 
there's mm. obviously a lot of expectation and there's high hopes that he'll come in. And again, it was everyone was, oh, why didn't he play against the Kent game? And it's like, I still think we'd have probably been 57 all out with him mm. in the side. Should he have played at Warwickshire? Yeah, I think he should have played there. But I was trying to think of, well, why didn't he play? And the only things I could think of was that um, we were trying to sort of name our best 11 to be fair to other counties on the relegation places. And also just because there was still the prize money at stake, that that was the reasons why I was thinking he didn't get a start. And it was one of those where they were just putting him in the squad for experience. Mm. At the end of the day, though, we're going to have to take risks with this batting unit. You know, either we recruit someone in to play as an opener or as a bona fide free and get gubbings up and promote him to opener, or we promote one of our own. And actually, the more I think about it, I think Press deserves the chance and it might be an easier transition for us knowing and actually working. We've had a blank canvas of Press. We developed him for a number of years. You know, that could just be a goer. And and I think you have got someone who could easily slot in without any transitional period, yeah. 750 runs to his name already as a pretty much, I mean, Gubbings is a little bit with England when we had that problem with openers not lasting very long. Gubbings has basically played as a conventional opener anyway due to some of Weverly's woes in the middle of the season. So I don't think it's going to be too much of an ask for him. Yeah, coming in second who, over. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. George, yeah, coming in at second over, in the second over, it's not that much difference than coming in the first over, is it? It's, you know. Exactly. And, you know, we've been told for, for many, many years by the backroom staff who are normally very transparent to us that what we're seeing repressed is what they saw with Vince 10 years ago. So you're going to have to give them that chance anyway. Um, so that, that might as well happen, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think also that the other thing is it cost us in the end the batting, sadly. And I was kind of really hoping that we'd get by. Maybe there's an argument that we don't actually need that more, much more runs because you think we lost to Essex by 12 runs, we lost to Warwickshire by five runs, and the Kent game, we actually made it respectable that we lost by only 77 runs. Because yeah. I think we exchanged a glance at one point, <laughs> didn't we? It's like, oh, could we? As Mohammed yeah. was like whopping it all over the place. It's like, no, we can't. But it was fun <laughs> for a couple of overs. Yeah, the, there is, because the bowling's been so good, it's always been about just giving them a bit more to play with because the bowling's obviously given us the time to that the batting hasn't been as as important, I suppose, in some ways. But it shows with Surrey. And also that's the thing you said earlier about turning some of the defeats into draws. It wasn't necessary I don't think we were ever in position to ever do that in any of our games mm. but the way the points are awarded a few years ago we'd have been a lot closer when a draw was only worth five points and now it's worth eight so staying unbeaten and batting well is more important than it was three four years ago yeah absolutely and like you say you know when you look at the batting points we were the second highest total for batting points it's that and it's not necessarily about the runs it's it's about the the time when we our batting failed, you know, the specific mm. instances and that what could we have done differently? And like you were saying, George, have I'm assuming the backroom staff have have started to look at that and analyze that and think, okay, well, what, you know, if we're talking fine margins here, what are the things that would have made a difference? Yeah, because I think some of them it's yes, we got 
the scores, but it's one of those where if you could get 400 in one game, which gets you five points and you draw the game, and then the next game you can get 201, which gets you one point and you win the game. There's an element of that. And then it was bizarre because it's like Lancashire obviously pipped us in the end by one point on the to second place. Mm. And it turned out, you know, everyone telling me how good Keaton Jennings has been. And I agree, he's been brilliant and he deserves his place going to Pakistan. But we actually got more batting points than Lancashire. Mm. Yeah. And weirdly, they got more bowling points than us. I know. Which, and I don't if get you that. asked <laughs> anyone to just go, well, what way round was it? Almost yeah. everyone will tell you the opposite way to how it actually turned out. Yeah. So it's not the bonus points then that are so crucial, it's the wins <laughs> and the losses. Yeah, even though we won more than ever. <laughs> yeah, we still didn't win <laughs> the championship. But, yeah, four Yeah. 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 We managed nine wins, but it's the four defeats. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we were close to 11 wins in that it was a 12-margin defeat at Essex, a five-run margin at Warwickshire. But, you know, I also think about if you could play that, oh, if only, if only. But think about all the other games where we won points where a team not as good as Hampshire wouldn't have won those points. Would a team as strong as us or as resilient as Hampshire beat a Northamptonshire? No way. Even Gloucestershire away was another one where that mm. did nearly come down to the weather. Or the Hampshire of four to five seasons ago. Yeah. Yeah, Cheltenham was another one where we had to make quick runs because the weather forecast was going to be against us on that afternoon. And also we'd lost time in the, the game due to the heat that we saw across the summer. Up at Yorkshire, we won the game where we had to chase about 220 mm. on in difficult conditions. That, I think, I'm conscious that in the first part of the podcast, we've probably been a little bit negative of talking too much on the batting, but it was an absolutely wonderful season in the Championship. Nine wins. Nine wins is the most since... 2005. Any, any highlights of the wins that we had? Uh, I think earlier on in the season, the Gloucester game, where we ended up, um, we had two night watchers uh, in a row, which was disastrous, but we won. Uh, because we ended up having, I think, Keith Barker coming in at 10 or 11 and, you know, or, or whatever, however it worked out. I can't remember. James Fuller and Barker, you know, scoring loads of runs. And that was ridiculous. And we won that. I think that's just... And then Gloucester even used that tactic... And I think they had three night watches and lost. <laughs> you know, so it's not a good, it's not a good tactic. Yeah, I think in terms of the championship, I didn't get to see as much as I wanted in person. So my joy of it and enjoyment of it was mainly on the uh, live stream YouTube and the radio. Um, so I can't think of because I'm unfortunately I'm just still stuck in the the end of the season. <laughs> so I'm trying to I'm trying to desperately get get that out of my head. <laughs> that's taking up my memory space at the moment in terms of Mm. Red Bull um, highlights. But I mean, you know, the the bowling in general has been amazing. So anything involving Keith Barker and James Fuller's complete transformation, you know, has has been really cool. I would echo um, all of that, really. I think the the obvious one, it's not going to be my pick, but we have mentioned it slightly, is the North Hants game because I love the fact that that actually got on the national news for, you know, literally... 
won it and then the next ball or what would have been the next ball the heavens were opening so that was sort of classic Hampshire but normally classic Hampshire good stuff normally happens in white ball for us not always on the red ball of the year so it was great that that happened and and that just really sometimes you earn your luck in sport don't you and I think the fact that we're the most consistent team in all formats this year we've won the most games surely we earned our luck to to have that moment but for me I'm going to go right back to early in the season always a fixture I fear which is Taunton away and the Barker show there that's six for when we got them was it what 68 all out um and I just thought oh I could watch that for the rest of my days. It was just unbelievable. You know, when he he is such a rhythmical player, isn't he? And when he's in the zone, you can't take the ball out of his hand. And just every ball was a potential wicket ball. Uh, just dangerous, dangerous bowling. And yeah, I know that Taunton's probably more of a bowler-friendly wicket than most on the county circuit. But that was just special. And, you know, the reason, don't get me wrong, everyone played their part in uh, being competitive but no one for me can match the consistency of our bowling unit this summer and uh, that showed at Taunton and that was a key step to me that we were going to be competitive this year yeah my favourite win apart from Northamptonshire was the Yorkshire home game that was one where it was really really hot it was at the first day and a young lad called Harry Brook was on about 70 odd they were a best part of 300 for only about three wickets down and Fuller managed to get him out down the leg side and Brooke looked like he would go on to make a double time. He looked absolutely booked in for bed and breakfast as his Yorkshire um, compatriot Jeffrey Boycott would say and I think the fact that we won that game having conceded 400 in the first innings. And it was another exciting, thrilling finish because we had to chase 200-odd on the last day. We did it eight down, which, you know, was the theme of the season, close finishes. <laughs> and that was one of the ones where it was just a really hard-fought championship win that when you win games like that, those were the ones that had me believing that it was going to be our year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our bowling has been just absolutely phenomenal. And as I say, you know, I've been a little bit critical of James Fuller. You know, previously he sprays it around a bit, not particularly consistent. Line, line and length is, can be extremely variable. And then, you know, Pot Welch has um, worked miracles with him and he's just been amazing. Um, so, yeah, anything involving any of our bowlers has been a joy to watch. Yeah, it's been brilliant. I, th I think the one thing I've been concerned about though, in, when I'm sort of thinking about the season was just how much hard work the three of them went through that we didn't have Abbott at the end game because carrying a bit of an injury. My worry is, can they go again? Was it a case of now or never for them in winning the championship with all those miles put on that clock? No, I, I think... And uh, Amanda's just alluded to it. I think the unsung hero, the Hampshire setup, and I absolutely love the bloke. And we were very lucky to have a beer with him when we won T20 finals today. It was is Pop Welch, Graham Welch. Honestly, you go, this is perfect recruitment. You go and you get the bowling coach who's just overseen the championship winning bowling unit last year, and you bring him to us. I think under his stewardship, what he's done in a year, these players are ready to go again because Barker, like we said before, uh, you know, and, and Fuller, especially Barker, who's led the line alongside Abbott and Abbas. 
they're brought in specifically for the championship for Red Bull. That is their aim. That's their sole purpose. A lot of those players nowadays. So for me, I think it's unfinished business. Yes, it's a concern because they've they've left nothing on the field, everything on the field, nothing out, haven't they? They've given everything. Exactly. I just think with 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 Welch, you've got the best bowling coach in the country, and you've got the best bowling unit. This this isn't the end. I think they can go even better next year. It's just there is that concern, but I think the recipes are there to to, to go again. Um, yeah. The bowling is not a concern for me. It's I can't wait to see that unit again. That I'm excited. I mean, Keith Barker does look like he struggles to walk sometimes <laughs> in, between, yeah. in between overs and deliveries. So that that is always a concern. But yeah, it's it's been amazing. It's just it's just they just really clicked as a unit. Yeah, it is really the thought of like having that unit again next year is really exciting. If they can stay injury free and live in a sort of a cryogenic <laughs> kind of hyperbaric chamber or something in between matches um, to, and not be let, let near any white ball cricket under no circumstances <laughs> be allowed to play anything involving white balls and just be kept for the championship. I think that would be really amazing. Mm. But yeah, the backroom staff completely get credit, I think, for some of that work. Um, yeah, they, they don't get enough. And again, it's people are quick to early in the season have a go at some oh. of the coaches AD Bill in particular. Mm. Um, but uh, they did a brilliant job. The fact that we com- competed on all three fronts, the only other side, Lancashire obviously were runners up in every competition. It's effectively, I think I did some stats on, on Twitter, but we won something like 29 out of the 40 games that we played across all formats. So to compete on all fronts is good because normally you have to pick one to target, don't you? Or some counties certainly can only pick one. Others yeah. might be able to do well in two. So, for example, Surrey did quite well in the T20, but they were nowhere in the 50 over. Exactly. Yeah, so there's plenty of positives. I think where we're going to next season, and I was very, very optimistic, had very high hopes for the season just gone. I think next year, when we're doing our pre-season, depending on what signings are made, I'll be a bit more cautious, I think, because of those miles on the clock of the bowlers. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what they're doing in the off-season. I think, well, I think Carl Abbott's playing some of the South Africa tournament, the T20. Mm. Some of, like, Mason Crane and some of the others are going out for that, aren't they? So, yeah, Keith Barker needs to put his feet up, definitely. Mm. <laughs> and James Fuller. I'm assuming Mohammed Abbas will be playing for Pakistan. Yeah, so maybe we need to uh, keep them rested. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think that's the thing. with It's also the support because they achieved 50 wickets each. First time that a Hampshire bowling unit had got three players or more with 50 wickets since 1995. I think there's also interest about what will be the backup options because obviously we've talked about Ian Holland where it was a good thing originally that he opened the batting because it kind of gave us a bit of an extra dimension because his bowling was very useful and his bowling was even more useful this season than any other. He averaged 26 with the ball against a career average of 32 but then if he's in the side batting at 7 or 8 would you perhaps have to go with somebody else like 
we haven't talked about Donald yet or Dawson or Brown batting a bit lower. But we sort of potentially have too many number sevens. Mm. I think also if you're going to change that top order to what we think might happen with Preston at three and Gubbings in his opening, you've sort of got a vacant number four um, mm. there. So, you know, do is that where you do look to bring someone in or, or another overseas? I don't know. I know who I'd have. But, you know, you've, <laughs> I'd have Shaquille Alassan. <laughs> and then again, of course, I'm going to say that. I've got to get really? it on at some point. I've got to get it on at some point. Uh, well, you are his wrong, agent, George. <laughs> at least I'm consistent, eh, Amanda? But, um, yeah, yeah I, I just think an experienced head at four would be needed if we do do that change. I think recruitment's going to come somewhere within that order. We just don't quite know where yet. But, yeah, I would worry about there being you know, too many holes for one spot, i.e. number seven. So there needs to be a bit of management and a bit of order, you know. But I think it's planning now. If we look at last year, my feeling was just last year was amazing. Sad how it ended, as you are knowing from being there, but it felt a bit like a bolt from the blue for me a little bit. Mm. Whereas this year felt like eyes on the championship, completely planned. We are contenders but I still wasn't quite sure. And now I think this is a well-oiled machine who, a bit like a top six football side in the Premier League, will be there with about every year. Now, we haven't ever had that with Red Bull before, which makes me think now, maybe you add one addition in, change, shuffle the pack slightly, and you're back on it. So, honestly, I think if we can get used to this not just being one season flash in a pan, might make it easier for us to manage our disappointment and just continue building and building. I mean, I have confidence we'll step on the field in April on paper, more, more, you know, a little bit more strong, a little bit more ready than we were the season before. Mm. But as Hampshire know more than any other county in the world, probably apart from Somerset, because they never won the thing, but we don't, you don't win championships on paper. But still, I just think there is a lot of positives to take. And I will be telling every member who's a little bit downhearted through <laughs> the month. And the dark winter that like I tried to do on the day we lost to Warwickshire on the online forums. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when I went to the Kent match, I was I was there for the final day of that, which was day three. And I was take I was taking a friend that had not been to a county cricket match before. And um I deliberately sat um by the hotel because I said to her, I'm not gonna sit in the Moni members bit, so I'm gonna sit round, you know, by the hotel. But yeah, it's about capturing not just the technical stuff, but also the psychology behind our really good performances this year and all the good coaching stuff and thinking, right, come on, just let's do some tweaks. We can do this. Yeah, basically yeah. twice now we've seen what's needed. The 2021 was kind of a very strange season where we just found ourselves suddenly with an opportunity to win it and almost did. Whereas 2022, there seemed to be a plan from the beginning. And it didn't always go to plan, but along the way, we were just picking up the wins here and there. And we were just like, okay. And obviously, I kept saying to everyone, look, just keep winning and it'll be fine. But ultimately, to keep winning is just so difficult to do that, unfortunately, it was beyond us. And perhaps if we could have picked up some more points earlier in the season, that probably made a bigger difference than when we fell away at the end, if that makes sense. Because yeah. we, we were playing cricket from the middle of July or the end of June onwards where we could not afford one slip up. 
So once we did slip up against Kent, it was very difficult to get back on it. Mm. So I think about things like not turning up at the Oval in April, deducted points for overrates. I think about not that it was in our control, but the fact we didn't have the opportunity to beat Lancashire on the fourth day. Those were the more important points than these Kent and Warwickshire games. Yeah, I, th- I think the Surrey game was the thing that lost it for us, actually, because, and it was, and that was just so disappointing and so typical flipping Surrey. And so it, they're just, they are just our nemesis and it's just so frustrating and disappointing. But that's the bit, if we could have just hung, you know, done something there, um, not win it necessarily, but do something there and, mm. and that might have been the difference. But we'll know for next time. Yeah, I mean, you never know. Next year, we might not have to go there. That you, you okay. have the scenario where not mm. everyone plays everyone twice. So people mm. have talked about, oh, well, sorry, don't have to come to the bowl. So we're not going to get the opportunity to beat them and overtake them. But as I think I've said on the Twitter spaces, we have to admit that the not playing everyone twice was largely in our favour because other teams in the top four, so you had Surrey played once, lost once. Lancashire played once, drew once. A bit, we had the better in that game. Mm. And Essex played once, lost once. Whereas everyone else, we managed at least one win against some of them too. Mm. So... The way it fell did favour us. Maybe next year it won't be so kind. Mm. Yeah, and we're not going to know, are we? I don't know when the fixture list is being published. and Well, they I don't know whether they've sorted out what they're going to do yet for next year. Um, it's so, yeah. the same next year as it stands. It'll be the yeah, same, yeah. Say it's the years beyond that. that it's the after that, OK, yeah, which is the high-performance review thing. Yeah, that look could be very different. I mean, this could be the last sort of championship as we know it in 2023. 14 games it might be that this is the last time as many as 14 games is played in the season well we'd better get our batting sorted out then haven't we and win it <laughs> yeah unfortunately we have to go back to the batting I, I was just i was just, just so desperate for it to work out because i just wanted to be like i told you it was good enough and then <laughs> everybody just telling me that no no it's not good enough it's going to cost us in the long run and Sadly, they were right. There was, there was an element of perhaps I didn't want to admit it to myself. There was also an element of I felt it was better than it was made out to be. So I, d- I don't know what they can do there. But we've come again and we know what's needed now to win the title. And they're doing everything that they can. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. It's going to be our year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that this year. So just we can just still think sort, that. Yeah. So move move on to highlights. So they had the awards nights and uh, Ben Brown was Red Bull Batter of the Year. Would that have been your choice? I don't think there are any much option actually. Uh, so uh, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you could definitely feel his impact of a new addition there and something we were missing, and he fulfilled the brief. So I think it's very hard to argue against him. Yeah, I think he did very well the first part of the summer. I think he struggled in the last few weeks after he took that injury against Kent in the one-day cup. So he was playing as a batsman. I don't think he was quite 100% at the end of the season. Yeah, certainly made a strong impact and the impact that we thought he would have after moving along the coast. Abbott and Barker shared Red Bull Bowler of the Year. And I think I know what Manda would have... Things would or should have happened there. 
no, no, George. listen, I'm quite, I'm quite happy for King Keith to uh, share um, Kyle's um, prize. I'm quite, it, it, it made me smile actually them sharing it. It's really, it's really hard um, award to give out, isn't it? Because you could have given it to, um, well, I mean, James Fuller got players player, didn't he? Uh, so yeah, they've, yeah, I, yeah, I get what they did there. I mean, how can you pick one of, of our amazing bowlers? Um, yeah. Well, players player is the one the players want to win because that mm. is that you're you know you're popular with your mates and yeah yeah that, that they admire the respect and again there was a lot of candidates for that Keith Barker picked up the fans player of the year and there's there's nobody more popular than him in terms of my mentions or whenever he gets a wicket is King Keith I everywhere within my mentions so that's hopefully good. Yeah, I saw him uh, two matches ago and I'm worried he's a bit freaked out now because I asked him if he would become my godfather and <laughs> he hasn't quite replied yet. So, you know, this bumbling 24-year-old man comes over. I think he was a bit scared, but keep him harmless. But, you know, you're playing so well. But maybe you need to play less well and then I won't be so obsessed with you. <laughs> but he's the king. It, oh, the, the, I would go as far to say through the years and what he's done in his career, and he's cemented it at Hampshire, one of mm. the best domestic first-class cricketers he will, you'll never see in the international arena in this country. Such a consistent performer, does not get the recognition, probably because of the level he plays at, that he deserves. But, you know, I think as long as he's at Hampshire, you know, week in, week out, with consistent performances, it will raise his profile to the way it should be, because... Just an amazing performer and someone that we had been missing for years. We've had him now and almost spoiled. He's spoiled us for two to three seasons. Um, a Barker who's on form is a Hampshire which is on form being competitive. Well, he's, yeah, he's, he's a player to me that never seems to be not on form. Exactly. Like I can't think of any period in the four seasons he's been here where he didn't play well. I can't either. Yeah, and if he's not, if he doesn't take the wickets, he's, you know, he doesn't leak runs and mm. he will then score you some runs as well with the bats. So really, really good player. And obviously, you know, the uh, MVP for the PCA. That's right, yeah. yeah. Really so, deserved. But I he's just outside the top five in terms of our highest run scores this season. And he's, which, he's supposed to be a high tail ender, so. Yeah, which is ridiculous, all. isn't it? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think if we had managed to win the championship, then he'd have surely been on sort of shortlist for the wisdom cricketers of the year and things like that. He probably would have been a strong candidate to get on that list. But ultimately, not winning has probably cost that there. I thought you were going to say he'd be um, in the selector's mind for the Pakistan (laughs) tour. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't think that, that unfortunately, is never going to happen. But... um, then again, that's good for us, isn't it? Because yeah. you know we get more of him. So absolutely, yeah. That's the, I think the other thing that again people have not been critical, but that's obviously been to our advantage that we didn't suffer England call-ups. We had Liam Dawson miss the last two games of the season with the championship because he went on tour to Pakistan, but we weren't impacted with international call-ups like Yorkshire or Surrey or Lancashire were. So we've also had that in our favour. And that's, I think, the other thing that is why I'm slightly concerned for next year, that we had a lot of things in our favour for 2022. Mm -hmm. And we weren't quite able to do it and it's one of those where yeah next year we might not 
be so fortunate with different things. You know, you had Abbott with his injury at the end. You know, those three bowlers staying injury-free, playing the lion's share of games, that's massive. And that's something that we might not be as fortunate with next year. So that's why I'm a little bit concerned. Yeah, we didn't take full advantage no, of, of it all. But you, you just don't know what's going to happen, do you? You know, I mean, Simon Harmer hurts a finger, you know, and then uh, everything's okay when we play Essex. So you just just don't know, do you? Yeah, it's difficult because, you know, I thought Essex would get closer to the top considering the sort of pitches that they were able to create and play on. Lancashire, I think, will be a strong strong side again. I I think also, when I was looking at my notes of pre-season, I think it was actually, I fancied Essex-Lancashire to be top three with us. It was Surrey's improvement that I didn't see coming because mm. they won it four years ago, but they've not done a particularly great deal since. And I just didn't have them as champions at all. And they lost the last game, but that was probably arguably where they probably weren't trying as hard as they were early in the season. And they, unfortunately, we're very unlucky, I think, to run into such a good side like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. But they still didn't win as many as us. No, but they they played the situation, didn't they? That They yeah. managed to, what did they get? They got seven wins, six draws. Eight and, wins, I think. Oh, was it eight wins? Okay, so eight yeah. wins, five draws and one defeat. So it's the yeah. five draws where we only drew one that were more the difference. But that goes back to their batting unit, though, because mm. for at least half of those draws, they batted aside totally out of the game yeah. come day two or the morning of day three. Uh, and that's probably where, and I hate to be pessimistic, but we don't really have the ability to do that yet. Or mm. Well, I think we probably do on paper, but we didn't show that. So... Yeah, you, you, that's how you win championships. You play the situation, as you said, Ian. And I think there's ways as well where we need, if we want to win this championship and we're deadly serious about it, which I'm sure we are, we've got to look at every facet, even mm. things like we said about overrates. And right down mm. to the last tee, we've got to imagine that we're in front of a judging panel with county championship points and you're getting judged for everything you do. And we've got to maximise the amount of things we get right uh, you know, because it really is going to come down to, like it has the last two seasons for us, minuscule amount of points. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, if we we just now got to make the journey to become even more slick, even yeah. more on it. You know? I think I, you, you'd give credit, though, because it was like those two points were thrown away in April for slow over rates. And then after that, yeah. we've got nowhere near a penalty from what I understand. Yeah. And that was where oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. bowling a lot of overs. So they certainly sorted that problem out. And hopefully next yeah, year there'll did. be nothing in the deductions column. Yeah. Otherwise, George will be after you. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Perfect himself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think what helped as well, I mean, the, where they just didn't concede any runs a lot of the time, just bowling maiden after maiden, just keeping mm. the pressure on. Because it was, I think, the Warwickshire home game when we had to score a target on the final morning. It was only about 90-odd. But again, it was one of those where a better team uh, than Warwickshire were at that time would have been able to perhaps make the lead into 150, which would have perhaps been challenging on that day. And they showed what they could do with 138 on the last day that we had to be better. But at the end of the day, I think if we're going to sum up for the remaining time, that it it was the best season that I've watched Hampshire for. 
even though the end went a bit flat and was very frustrating. It's the best season I've seen, the most enjoyable to follow Mm -hmm. and be involved with. So many great moments, so many great wins that I can't wait. So I look forward to doing it all again and hope that it's even half as good next year. Yeah, absolutely. We felt just really strong right from the beginning of the season in Red Bull. And I know we haven't really talked about um, the Royal London One Day Cup either, but I I mean, I so enjoyed that competition this year. I finally understood what it was all about. <laughs> uh, I, I got the point of it. And that was amazing. And I think that did help our Red Bull game as well, because it was about momentum and it was just about that resilience that, you know, we just won some ridiculously stupid games in the Royal mm-hmm. London, you, you know, from nowhere with some homegrown youngsters that were just absolutely outstanding, you know, so like, you know, Toby Albert and uh, Jack Campbell were just amazing, you know, and all the others. So, yeah, I think that helped, you know, it it must help in the dressing room in terms of that winning mentality and kind of just doing it, you know, and just thinking, no, it isn't over. Well, it was interesting because if you think about, I suppose you had the championship squad were winning games and it's, experienced the excitement of winning games. You had the T20 squad that ended up winning games and the excitement and enjoyment of winning games. And then the people who are sort of in neither squad, like Campbell and Turner, come in and they get to experience that. Mm. And then also where I think Gubbins, Organ, Holland, etc., watched the T20 finals day, they were able to go and play 50-over white ball cricket and experience the enjoyment of that so it's just great to compete on all three fronts and across all three competitions of course this season we set that 13 game record of 13 Mm. wins in a row and we worked out that the previous best at any time in the club's history which is over 150 years was eight so absolutely incredible to to win 13 games in a row that normally there's there's rain or one shocking performance in there somewhere but mm. across three formats within 13 games was incredible. And to continue that winning culture in the rural London, when you're fielding a side that has six youngsters aged 22 or younger, that's just such a good shot in the arm for the future of our whole squad. You know, I just think this whole breed and mentality that we built it just showed this year that it's filtered right down from, you know, your Vinci's and your Dorses down to your youngest academy players getting their first Hampshire cap. There's a real continuity around the place. I mean, there was a time where I forgot what it was like to lose in the height of that summer because we weren't doing it. And no one can match us or consistency, which is why we so deserved to get at least that T20 trophy. And yes, we did it in the most Hampshire ways, but Honestly, what we've done for county cricket this season, I know people who don't like Hampshire will probably hate me saying this, but what we've done for county cricket this season in terms of being so consistent, showing you can do it in all different formats with older, more experienced heads like Gubbings leading the the one-day cup, a fantastically consistent Red Bull team to a young, new brand of cricket in one day with the Royal London shows that we've been such great ambassadors of the game this season. And, you know, not Hampshire at your peril, but what we've done for cricket and what we're showing is a perfect model that is working. And it's great to be a part of that as a, as a fan. And it's huge amount of fun it gives as well. When you watch the game, it's really, really enjoyable. It's not boring. 
you know, it's really, really exciting, um, close games, um, really, you know, it, it's got it all. You know, it's been really, really exciting and, and a huge amount of fun this season. So hope we get that next year. Yeah, it's the Hampshire way. It's going to happen yeah. again. It, it will be difficult because, yeah, as I said, we won 29 games out of 40 that we played. That was the most by any team. I worked out, I think Lancashire won about 25 games in all formats. Surrey won about 23, 20, 22, 23. So we were the most consistent team. It's going to be difficult to do that. And obviously there might be people from other counties listening to this and go, oh, so what, 29 out of 40, most wins. What what does that mean? Because ultimately we just won one trophy. But it just almost shows that, yeah, three quarters of the games we set out to play, we managed to find a way to win. And yeah, there were so many close wins, so many games we won that we perhaps shouldn't have won. And that was also the thing with the Warwickshire one, where that was one we should have won, and we didn't. But we'd been doing that to people all season, winning games that we shouldn't have, and it was perhaps just one game too far. But as a follower of all sports that you are in, a bit like me, you'll know that that's how you build championship title winning sides in all different sports and formats mm-hmm. is you go and win the games that on paper look like you should probably be throwing away and not winning. You make opportunities and we're getting better at that. Yes, we squandered opportunities as well. But honestly, did I ever think... Growing up where I was spoiled for choice of white ball cricket, but do I ever think as a Hampshire fan five to ten years ago that I'd be seeing a brand of red ball cricket played like this by us consistently for the last three seasons? I would have torn your hand off for that. So honestly, this upward trajectory is keeping going, and I want fans and members to know that this is not the end of the story. Yes, we deserve to be disappointed, but more is coming, and this is a golden era, and I promise you that. It certainly feels like that for me. Yeah, I mean, the end of 2019, I thought we were in a great place. We just finished third, and I thought we were really going to have a great 2020. And then, of course, we knew what happened then. And then I was wondering if we would get back to challenge, but then we've had two of the best championship years that there's been. But we'll wrap up then, because we're we're running out of time. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for following this season. Thank you for interacting. And we'll speak again soon in the winter. Come on, Hampshire. Mm-hmm. <laughs>